Hey, it's David Cicerelli, the CEO and co-founder of Voices. Today on the show, we have Kyle Hamrick, and he's a creative director at School of Motion. Kyle and I are going to be talking and discussing all things motion graphics, who's using them, how and when creatives are choosing motion graphics over live video, and the interplay of use of voiceover as well. But first, let me introduce Kyle. Kyle Hamrick's an Emmy-winning motion designer, video editor, and Adobe-certified software trainer, and all-around After Effects and premier nerd. Now he serves as creative director for School of Motion, where I'm sure you've caught him on many of the tutorials, live streams, and much more. He's also a, you know, mediocre guitarist, his words, not mine, and a lover of dinosaurs and Lego. Uh, that was certainly my t uh, toy of choice growing up. So I think we're going to have a great show today. Um, and finally, he is a big believer in using his creative skills and empowering others to do so as well for good. So uh, with that, let's kick things off. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Hey, David. Thanks so much for having me on here. Oh, my, my pleasure. I think um, this is an area where we haven't covered yet around motion graphics. So uh, you're going to be teaching a lot to me and certainly other creative producers as well, but uh, let me first uh, get one in here about asking you about Lego. Have you ever done motion capture or something that is inspired by Lego in, in any of your creative work? Uh, a little bit, uh, not as much as I have meant to. Um, I'll say uh, for that, I've mostly kind of helped my son do some little stop motion Lego pieces, but yeah. uh, I, I, not really professionally. Yeah, <laughs> more, more of a though. hobby, more yeah. of a hobby. Hey, yeah. listen, but that's where that's where it starts. Um, m most of my toys growing up, like Lego was always the one. I know you have, um, you know, experience as well uh, with that. And I, I think for those who have young kids, what a great way to uh, set them on a creative, creative path, and maybe even a career path. You don't know it, but uh, but Lego um, is uh, certainly one of those toys that inspires that. Uh, I guess getting right into it, over your career, how do you, uh, how have you seen organizations use video differently? Maybe it's the form factor, maybe kind of the content itself, maybe a, a difference in how the stories are actually being told. But is there an evolution um, that that you might be able to share with all of us? Yeah, um, uh, I mean, so I, I've been doing this stuff professionally for I think 17 years at this point. And so um, I think anyone who's been paying attention to pretty much anything knows that there's been a huge revolution in what video and related stuff um, can do, uh, the availability of all of that. I mean, obviously in that time, you know, YouTube and uh, now, you know, Instagram, TikTok, uh, like mm -hmm. video is everywhere. We're all carrying video players around in our pockets. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, it's a very different place. And it's also like, the ability to create all of this stuff has opened up so much in that time. And even just over the last, you know, five to 10 years, um, it's a, just a huge revolution in both expectations, but availability. And, um, you know, it, uh, on the one hand, it means that there's just so much stuff out there, but yeah. it also means that anyone can tell creative stories in, you know, pretty much any way that they can imagine if, if they, you know, want to spend a little time doing it. Yeah. Not only are we all carrying video players, uh, I thought that was insightful, but also video capturing devices, exactly. right? Anyone can create a video. So does that mean that, uh, you know, some organizations believe that they can kind of do this themselves um, and put together their own video production team, maybe even a small business, but the, you know, is it, is it kind of created a lot of do it yourselfers out there where, um, maybe they uh, aren't reaching out to you or do they start there and then kind of connect um, where they're looking to upgrade their quality or, or other skills? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the 
you know, the availability of these tools, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, a lot of times just a phone or and an app. But obviously, you know, if you have a desktop computer, you have a, a lot more capabilities. But um, it does enable almost anyone to make stuff, um, which means that you'll find a wide uh, array of quality levels. But yes. sometimes that's OK. Um, and, and there's even, um, you know, something you start seeing as you get into this. There's there are times where too much production quality can actually hurt the messaging uh, of something, mm. depending on what it is. And obviously, you know, for things like social media right now, um, there is, in most cases, you kind of don't want stuff too polished because then it stops feeling authentic. Um, but obviously, you know, somebody like Apple isn't going to be putting out things that just somebody shot on their phone and it's all grainy and sounds terrible. So mm -hmm. um, unless that is what they're going for. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, I have a feeling that the answer to a lot of questions today is going to be, it depends. Because right. um, it can be such a broad thing, and it sort of depends on who you're, who you're talking to and what you're trying to say. Yeah, it, you know, is it, would it be fair as like if it's an advertisement, you know, there's almost a higher expectation of quality, whereas maybe the behind the scenes, the customer's success stories... Um, those can kind of, exactly. dare I say, get away with a little bit more. It's just more raw. It's natural kind of in the moment. Yeah. More organic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and people don't expect those to be too polished. And if they are, they probably start questioning like, is this actually a real person or is this an actor? So how much does the planning go to create a video just before we kind of uh, move into the stop motion mm -hmm. and stop, uh, stop, uh, motion graphics, um, portion but just planning a video, you know, from start to finish, you know, are there some key steps along the way that you would encourage uh, anyone listening? Like, listen, don't don't just whip out the camera and expect to kind of get greatness mm -hmm. right off the bat. Maybe there's some pre-production steps that are somewhat universal that you find to be kind of tried and true. Exactly. Um, you know, certainly there are instances where you can just shoot something and figure it out later. Um, and as someone that's, you know, done a lot of editing in my career, I have uh, cleaned up that mess many times, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, sometimes to great effect, but uh, typically having a plan of some kind. And um, even if you are, let's say, creating something that is, you know, a documentary that's very based on, you know, real footage, um, at least knowing what your objective is when you're going into the project, um, and it may change, you know, in, in a case like that, but knowing what you're trying to achieve um, mm. is is kind of the, the base level thing. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're doing a more produced piece, you're going to take that a lot further and come up with design concepts and a script and all of that and make sure that you have messaging that is talking to the audience that you want to be talking to and you're communicating right. the right concepts and all that, um, both, you know, through the the script and dialogue and maybe through the visuals, um, maybe th as part of a broader campaign across different kinds of media, like mm -hmm. it can, it can kind of go wherever it needs to go. But, um, knowing what you're trying to achieve is, is a very important step kind of no matter where you are on that scale, I think. And, and maybe some examples of that, just to, to put this in kind of practical terms, like, mm -hmm. is it to like drive I mean, more visitors to your, you know, storefront? Is it to maybe just bring awareness to a new product launch? Are those the kind of objectives that you're referring to? Uh, exactly. I mean, it. Uh, let's say you're, you're creating um, an Instagram ad, for example. In that case, you're probably trying to make people aware of these widgets and make them want to buy these widgets mm -hmm. and click on the thing so that then they can figure out how to buy these widgets. Yeah. Um, uh, 
you know, I mean, it, it depends on what the piece is, of course, but um, typically you're trying to get people to take some kind of action, even if it's right. just to, to click on a link or something right. like that, right? Yeah. Well, no, that's, uh, and, and kind of uh, weaving in the words as well, too, and other visual elements. <laughs> but um, I want to definitely, um, before getting to the, the words and the voice, let, let's, talk about, um, let's talk about motion graphics. For those who are maybe new to the concept, Mm-hmm. They've certainly seen them, but maybe they weren't uh, exactly sure of what they were referred to. Um, what what's what are motion graphics just for uh, for somebody new uh, listening? Sure. And uh, if I go on too long, just let me know because no. this is one of those things where <laughs> this like, is a whole course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, it's um, as you said, they're all around. Um, but I think mm-hmm. it's a thing that people don't even think about. Um, mm-hmm. The way I might explain it, like to my aunt. Um, is animation, but not cartoons, uh, yes. which means everything from, you know, the intro sequence to your favorite TV show, those Instagram ads I've mentioned, um, you know, live visuals that go behind um, your favorite performer at a concert, mm-hmm. um, the interstitial pieces when you're watching an NFL game and two helmets bash together and then the score comes out. Like, right. all of that stuff is all motion graphics, motion design, um, you know, a lot of different techniques and, and looks, but, um, basically if it's, you know, a piece of video and I'll put an asterisk on that content that is not filmed footage, it's probably yes. motion graphics. Yeah. So that's a good differentiation between motion graphics and then the live action, you know, filmed footage. Mm-hmm. Is there ever times where you're using some live action, kind of cropping it and then like making it do something differently? I you just use your example of probably in like sports scores mm-hmm. or different, you know, you might have the an actual um, video capture of an element moving, but then mm-hmm. you're manipulating. Is that a is that a common technique? And is it Absolutely. only in sports or maybe newscasts as well too? I'm, th- I'm yeah, the, to think those of are those are both two really great um, sort of concrete examples. And I, I used to do a lot of sports work myself, so I would do the the player intros where you know they stand there. A lot of guys for baseball, they'd cross yes. their arms or have the bat over their shoulder, and it's the thing yep. that plays in the stadium. But then cool stuff like spins around them or whatever. Yes. Um, but it, yeah, I mean everything from you know, green screen, uh, which I think most people know about, where you can yep. then composite people into an environment that they weren't originally in, which mm-hmm. then starts, you know, crossing over a lot into visual effects. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the same techniques there. And a lot of times you would use that kind of stuff in a motion design piece, maybe to put a person in a graphic environment or bring graphics over a video. Um so yeah. how do you know when you've taken this far enough <laughs> and then there's probably a line where you cross where, you know, when you hit the deadline knew, yeah, the okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes it could maybe, could it, could it ever be overdone where it just feels like it's too overwhelming for, and absolutely it almost takes away from the story. Absolutely. And I think, um, uh, as with a lot of creative endeavors, um, I th- suspect that most people, as they get further into their careers, they probably start this tipping point where you start learning to take things away rather than mm. add things. Um, yes. And, you know, again, it depends on what the piece is and who your audience is. Mm-hmm. Um, something you're designing for, uh, you know, maybe a kid's TV show is going to look very different than for uh, an Apple event or something like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, often uh, subtlety is a very uh, powerful and underrated <laughs> Uh, value in this stuff. 
Uh, for sure. I think, you know, I, I love the comment around like taking things away. I, I know as an audio engineer myself, you're often, you know, I was taught to always, you know, uh, cut certain mm -hmm. frequencies out of the spectrum as opposed to just boosting to enhance. Um, and actually that creates more space and clarity. So there's, uh, you know, an, an, an amateur, dare I say, just goes, oh, let's have more bass and like uh -huh. crank it. But actually by removing certain frequencies, you can sound and feel it um, with more punch. Uh, so uh, these are all things uh, that we that we learn yeah. over time. Is there is it's there maybe an analogy that, yeah. that would be there with motion graphics of like, you would think that by adding more, it would be better, <laughs> but maybe you've learned as uh, something to that's commonly removed despite clients asking for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, in my industry, we sort of have a lot of these, you know, basically memes of like the kind of bad stuff that clients will ask for. It's, you know, just always make the logo bigger and like adding star bursts, uh, just like adding yep. too much crap, right? Right. Um, and, and yeah, absolutely. A lot of times that takes away from the messaging because um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think most people understand, even if they're not designers, even we're just talking about like a, a still print ad, like a poster or something, mm -hmm. there are, you know, maybe one or two things that you really want people to be able to see and pay attention to. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you put that in motion, you're bringing time into the mix. And so, you know, you can manipulate how long things are on screen, but you are directing the viewer's attention. That is, mm -hmm. that is the primary thing that you're doing. And mm -hmm. if you throw eight things on screen for them to look at, they aren't going to follow the important thing. They're going to follow right. all this sparkly crap that you threw on the screen. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so if you are mindful about like what your hero element is and why you're showing that to them and what it's doing and what it's communicating by the way it's moving, yada, yada, yada. Um, Do you ever test powerful. that with like eye tracking software or anything along those, those lines? Have you had experience with that to know with certainty, if you will, um, that like the, the main visual element, I'm sure, as you said, with, you know, uh, years of experience, you've, you've, you've gotten there and know what is going to be enough to kind of catch the attention. But do you, have you uh, used that kind of eye tracking software for running kind of split tests or? I, I haven't, uh, yeah. that sounds very interesting. And I, it makes me wonder if, if people have, um, but, uh, I, you know, it's, it's a creative thing. And, uh, so we probably just have the egos to think that we know what's best. Right, right. <laughs> we don't. We don't need to test it. Less science, more art. Right. I, I, I love that. Um, why might Why might a creative producer actually choose to go with um, more motion graphics as opposed to live action? Mm -hmm. Is there, you know, is there a difference, you know, uh, in budget, in time frame? Like you don't have to deal with a set. I, you know, what might those um, decision kind of criteria be? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it can have both creative and, uh, you know, let's say logistical reasons. Yes. Um, you know, about two years ago, suddenly everyone realized that it was a lot easier to do motion design pieces than to shoot stuff um, mm -hmm. when no one could be on set for a while. And I noticed yeah. almost immediately, um, you know, about a week after COVID shutdowns, uh, maybe a couple weeks, like all the commercials I was seeing on TV were either made from stock footage or yep. they were motion design pieces <laughs> Yes, because that's what was available. Um, yep. And obviously that's a special case, but um, I mean, typically motion, motion graphics pieces are going to be usually more affordable than shooting something because, mm. you know, bringing, uh, bringing like a production truck and a 10 person crew to something um, is expensive. Um, and, I mean, you can certainly have 
one person in a home office make a really high production value piece. Uh, mm -hmm. It typically takes longer to make like that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it, it also just enables a lot of creative stuff that you might not be able to film because it might not exist. Um, or you can do things in a much more abstract way where you might be having, you know, just friendly shapes um, representing concepts instead of, you know, people um, depicting them. Mm -hmm. No, they, I'm glad you brought up the onset of the pandemic um, as well. Did you receive a lot of interest at School of Motion during that time because people needed to kind of ramp up the curve very quickly, realizing, oh, shoot, we can't? I do think so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think any online learning uh, institutions were probably mm -hmm. uh, a bit busier a few months after that as people kind of realized that that, you know, it wasn't going away right away. And uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, I think it also just helped a lot of people kind of realize um, that maybe that creative thing that they've always kind of meant to learn more about, uh, maybe this is a good time to do it. For sure. No, we, we definitely had the same observation here that a lot of brands um, had purchased airtime and maybe planned an upcoming product launch. Either way, they needed to change their messaging very mm -hmm. quickly. And so we coined that the pandemic ad. I mean, it was very stereotypical. <laughs> yeah. It all said, we're in this together and we're here for you. Um, so the scripts were all the same from a voiceover perspective. And then also, you're right, it was like stock music and animation or uh, motion graphics. And a lot of because very no one understanding was vocal yeah. tones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And all the artistic direction was was very much the same. And now, you know, kind of um, being optimistic and saying, you know, I think we're uh, coming out in terms of certainly less restrictions and lockdowns coming out of, a, out of the pandemic. Would you say that a lot of those, um, you know, have you observed that a lot of those uh, approaches to creating content have, you know, stuck around or are people kind of going back to, no, no, let's go for the big 10 person crew and get the lighting set up. Like, you know, is there, is there a renewed and kind of a stickiness around uh, using more motion graphics in, in the content and ads that are being produced? I mean, I don't think they're mutually exclusive and I think mm -hmm. that they will both um, be around for a long time. Uh, the thing about motion graphics and related stuff um, mm -hmm. is that it's, uh, especially as, you know, we continue to have these devices and probably more devices and all this stuff. Um, it's just going to continue to be more and more ubiquitous. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that like, you kind of see it in all this little stuff. You don't even think about, um, you know, when you pick up your phone and you do a command or something, the little movements that your phone does to help communicate something to you, uh, mm -hmm. based on your interactions, like those are a part of motion design as well. Um, right. And all these little things, you know, a, as we get into whatever AR or VR ends up becoming, if it ever becomes something like yeah. that's all going to be aspects of motion design too. the, the principles of things moving and having that communicate something to you, yes. um, I think are just going to continue to expand uh, as we go here. W w what's your experience? Have you uh, put on one of these headsets um, and, <laughs> you know, a, a quest or quest Two over the last couple of years? Uh, a little bit. I, I was at a friend's house playing some mini golf on uh, like on cliffs the other day on a uh, okay. an Oculus. <laughs> so a little bit, mostly just for fun. Yeah. Um, did that? Did you have the sense of like being dizzy? I know this is often one of the challenges of like this 
floating. I'm floating. I don't have a mm -hmm. sense of like being grounded. But did that come into play for you? Uh, I am fortunate in that I'm very comfortable with heights and that seems to translate well into these uh, VR environments. The rest yes. of my family is not so fortunate. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's, um, I, I'm not great with heights myself either. So I, I tend to just need a moment to kind of catch my breath and realize <laughs> this is just something you're seeing, but your, your brain nonetheless is is uh, is interpreting it different. We we kind of touched on this a little bit tongue in cheek about like what can go right and more likely what can go wrong with motion graphics. Mm -hmm. um, any other kind of words of wisdom of like how to, especially on the what can go wrong? Because I think helping others, you know, learn from our mistakes, avoid common, mm -hmm. um, you know, missteps uh, certainly saves people a lot of time in that in the editing room or uh, going back and forth with with clients. But uh, aside from the the starburst lightning bolts and so <laughs> forth, what what else can go wrong in, in using motion graphics? Sure. So I think the biggest thing, um, you know, I think a lot of people would clearly understand uh, if you're if you're working with live actors and you're shooting stuff like once you've shot that thing, you, you really can't change it too much. You can edit right. it, but it's it's sort of done. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think um, a lot of clients don't understand as much. Uh, like, yes, with, with motion graphics, you can always change everything, but that starts unspooling a lot of things. Mm, and, mm -hmm. and that typically translates into time and money. Um, yeah. so, uh, you, I like, I like a, a waterfall analogy. Um, okay. you know, as you're working through a project, you probably want to like sign off on the concept and then sign off on the script and sign off on some um, design concepts and then like more refined and stuff like that. And as you go, um, you don't want to get there and and deliver the final project. And then that is when the client realizes that they want to change half the script because yeah. now everything has to be all undone. And, mm -hmm. you know, yes, all of it is changeable because we kind of just made it all up. But, um, you know, you've just... Uh, uh, it, it's a lot of spaghetti to untangle to just start yeah. changing things at that point. So yeah. um, it it requires a lot more sort of check-ins along the way to make sure that everyone is on board with everything as it's being created and that we're not going to have to have a sudden U-turn at the end. Mm -hmm. Is there is there a risk? So I totally appreciate the, the waterfall, you know, approach that's similar to there's uh, these kind of gates, if you will, that you'd pass through, whether it's mm -hmm. software development or, you know, a creative process like this. Is there ever a risk where you're showing a client, um, you know, either in-house at a brand or, you know, you work in an agency or a creative firm and you're showing an end client something that's like too unfinished and it kind of feels like, well, I thought we were going to have this a lot yeah. further. Or like, they're like, no, 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 this is just the first, first touch point. Yeah, that's definitely... Um as someone that's done this for a lot of years, and I've done a lot of direct to client work as well as a lot of work with ad agencies and stuff. And mm -hmm. I think a big part of it is just making sure that you're communicating. Um, I mean, just communicating, but yep. <laughs> uh, expectations are the biggest yes. one because if, if someone thinks that they're supposed to be looking at something final and it's a rough sketch, they're not yep. going to react the right way. Right. Um, and especially when you're working with an agency who might be working with another agency who, you know, mm -hmm. the further you've removed you are from the end client, it gets harder to uh, give that context. Yes. But, um, the, the biggest thing is, yeah, just making sure that people understand what they're looking at because the average person doesn't have the ability to sort of pre-visualize 
where something is going to end up, which I right. think is one of the things that designers of, of all types, that's sort of a, a superpower that they have is being able to see like this crummy napkin sketch is going to turn into this beautiful thing, but we kind of need to like confirm these three shapes before I yes. spend a, a couple days making it look beautiful. Absolutely. Whether they're paper prototypes or scratch track reads mm -hmm. in voiceover, um, you know, in fact, we uh, have a, a, had a graphic designer that she was uh, pretty legendary of doing in her sketchbook, you know, just six quick doodles, mm -hmm. in which case then she'd go, this is literally pencil and paper, which do you want me to spend time on? Yeah. And that kind of process, you know, she's actually iterated six times already and given some variation where we can pick a path and go down there. So I, I, I thought it was really important what you, uh, the advice kind of given of like communicating and setting those expectations ahead of time um, before someone just, you know, looks at the, you know, the still or, you know, clicks play on a preview video that they, that they understand, you know, where we are uh, in the process. Mm -hmm. um, so that's great. Let's let's kind of weave this into how you know a lot of video using motion graphics is going to rely on voiceover. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, do you you know you've got the script written? When and where do you kind of tie in the voiceover? Um, because I'm sure like certain words are going to hit certain visual elements. Maybe you're emphasizing yeah. it. Is it recorded voiceover recorded before or after? And maybe it kind of happens on both. Yeah. Um, you know, I've done it both ways and there's pluses and minuses. Um, hmm. I will say, so let's, let's kind of put this in a specific use case, um, which is what I'll call an explainer video. Love um, it. you know, these are typically 60 to 90 seconds and they might be explaining what a product is or what an app does or what a company does or, you know, something like that. We've all For seen sure. a million of these. Um, and that's a case where voiceover is very important because you might, Otherwise, just be looking at, you know, illustrated or animated elements on screen. Mm -hmm. um, and so your voice is, you know, as you say, there's going to be some very important what I'll call hero moments where you're probably going to look for those really meaningful, like sync ups between the visuals and and the, the voice script. Um, and when you animate something like that, you don't want to do it twice. <laughs> um, and so I love to have that, uh, have the real VO as early as possible in that process, but mm -hmm. also fully understand that sometimes, um, depending on the nature of the pro the project and depending on the nature of the client, um, mm -hmm. and your relationship and, you know, some of that stuff we talked about before, yeah. you might need to work through a lot of that stuff in a rougher form to just like, so that they can see enough to kind of know like, yeah, okay, this is where it's going, even if mm -hmm. it's still rough. Um, I'll say personally, I really like to do what's called an animatic, where you oh. might just take the still design frames um, and you edit them on a timeline with a scratch VO that, you know, yep. uh, uh, often I'll just do myself. Yep. And so I can like set that pacing and kind of set the tone, even if I'm not a proper voice actor mm -hmm. and we can work through, you know, you can find the places in the script that have maybe a gap that you're going to need to fill or just stuff doesn't feel right. And you can work with it a lot more at that stage. Um, but before I start doing proper animation, I really like to have the real VO so that we have the emotion and the pacing and you can really yes. work out those important moments. Is this an oversimplification? The way I've heard it before is 
for live action, like, you know, films, as you said, filmed footage, if that's the output, you're going to record, you know, capture that first and then do the VO afterwards. And then if it's animation, predominantly animation or motion graphics, you actually get the VO first Mm -hmm. in that situation and then animate around that. Because in, in live action, the voice actors actually trying to hit those moments on right. camera that are already happening. Is, is is there some truth to that kind of rule of thumb? Yeah, usually because, um, you know, often if you are animating something and maybe you created all those visuals from scratch, you're often keying off that vocal performance to kind of help create some of the uh, characterization of, you know, you might even just be animating like a square moving around the screen or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it might be that the personality that your voiceover talent brings to that spot is actually feeding you a lot of inspiration for maybe how that square moves. Yeah. No, that's um, certainly the t- working with the talent and getting that great read out of them. If you've, you know, worked with uh, voice talent previously, uh, how do you, how do you get that great read? Any any uh, any advice? You know, aside from you just sent them the script. Maybe there's a creative brief, but for those kind of live directed sessions, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe there's certain words that you find that um, are often interpreted very mm-hmm. well by the talent that can. But you know, any any guidance on getting a great read from a talent that you've worked with? Totally. Um, so as you know, as someone in. Uh, on my side of it, um, mm-hmm. I would definitely spend time first, and I would have, um, I would have at least a rough idea of what the visuals are going to be uh, before I come into this VO session. And so, I ideally already know sort of what some of those hero moments are, and where it's really important that we nail um, certain phrases or certain words, even. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there might be some parts that you know, it's just kind of filler. You're talking about what an app does or something. I mean, it mm-hmm. just needs to get the job done. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, and of course, especially if you're, if you're dealing with something that's maybe a more emotive piece instead of, um, informational, obviously Mm -hmm. it becomes more and more important to really get a performance there instead of just like reading some words. Um, and the more that, you know, uh, I mean, we're kind of going back to my earlier thing. Like if you know what your objective is, you can be Mm -hmm. very clear about, um, what it is that you're trying to get. Um, and I think, uh, an important thing for people like me to remember, um, you know, ultimately we're probably building something for a client and we don't fully, we're creating our interpretation of what this client has told us their product or service is. Um, and then passing that on to uh, a voiceover artist, like, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, you would know even less about what this thing is. And so it's up to me to communicate um, very importantly, like what kind of emotion are we trying to get out of this? What are we trying to communicate here? Um, mm-hmm. what sort of motivation might you have at, um, uh, on the script or different parts of the script? And, mm-hmm. um, how is that going to help me create the piece that I am trying to create? Yeah. So that, you know, your role as a creative director is in a lot of ways, the communicator and a mm-hmm. translator of, ideas mm-hmm. and concepts into putting some words around them um, that are just going to, you know, get everybody on the same page, but then ultimately translating that into um, into a visual uh, visual piece as well, too. Uh, there's a weird blend of content out there where some are calling it edutainment. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what is this? Is it, you know, I've, I've heard this term a few times, and I know uh, you had thrown it out there as well, too. Uh, what's edutainment? 
I mean, I'm still figuring that out. Um, uh, I have used that as one of the many ways to describe the long list of things that I do. Right. Um, and <laughs> um, the the motion design industry has gotten to a place where uh, we. Uh, we have matured, uh, well, mm -hmm. let's put matured in quotes, enough that we can have silly stuff that's also communicating stuff. Um, right. I had one of those <laughs> myself for a while. I was doing a live stream with another motion designer, and we were kind of calling it Car Talk for After Effects, which is one of the primary softwares. Mm -hmm. um, and we have uh, uh, a, a couple other guys that do a weekly YouTube show, and they kind of are just messing around, but mm -hmm. um, they make all kinds of really interesting creative stuff in the process of doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, as someone that does a lot of this teaching and tutorials and stuff like, yes, I mean, ultimately you're making software demos and you yeah. need to make them interesting. Um, right. And so being, uh, adding some charisma to that and some fun, I think is a, a very important component of making people want to watch this stuff and, and want to learn this stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, also just showing them a lot of the creative capabilities um even if it can be in sort of a goofier way sometimes yeah <laughs> was there is there a favorite one um that maybe it was done recently that uh, that people could find on youtube we can link up in the show notes that was uh was particularly memorable <laughs> yeah. for you uh so there's a great one right now so um one of the things i alluded to uh there's a show called vfx and chill which mm -hmm. is a weekly show on youtube and uh, it's a couple guys who work for um, Maxon, which is a company that um, creates various software for what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> a couple weeks ago, they landed on a thing where they tracked a, a Velociraptor, like from Jurassic Park. They tracked that head over Tom Cruise um, in several clips as part of a, an April Fool's Day thing. And they've just kept it going. So there's a Twitter account called But With Raptors. Okay. Um, and so they're just tracking these raptor heads over all these movie clips and other things. And what they're doing uh, usually looks pretty good. And it's always really funny. But it's also just a great... Um, I mean, it shows, you know, the power of this kind of stuff. The capabilities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, that's that's uh, that's really funny. We'll have to uh, check that one out as well. What's uh, what's next for you and the team um, at School of Motion? Any mm -hmm. anything that's kind of on deck that uh, that you'd like to speak about? Yeah. So, um, you know, at School of Motion, we've got courses for people to learn motion design and design for motion. Um, in a variety of ways. And we're always looking for new ways to help people learn that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. We've got a lot of great courses already. We always uh, tend to have some new stuff in the pipe. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, without giving too much away, I'd say we, we have some interesting stuff on the near-term horizon. So I would maybe keep your eyes out there. But um, we're also always, you know, putting out uh, awesome tutorials on YouTube. We have a ton of free content as well. So... Mm -hmm. um, if people just want to learn more about designing for motion or getting into motion um, in, you know, either 2D or 3D variety yep. of techniques, like check us out. That's awesome. Um, and I think that you've, you've really delivered a lot of uh, value and expressed your personality, I'm sure, of exactly <laughs> what they can um, expect in those tutorials. Um, I thought, I thought we had a great conversation. I learned a ton, um, and, uh, enjoyed connecting with you. Uh, well, thanks for joining me today, Kyle. Um, Absolutely. So we will, we'll sign it off there until next time. I'm David Cicerelli, the CEO and founder of Voices, and you've been listening to Voice Branding.